Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain and oilseed and fibre markets. I'm Olivia Agar. Thanks for tuning into episode 213. The Australian agriculture industry has been in a period of opportunity, but it also has a structural strength which will fundamentally underpin the long-term competitiveness of the industry. Today, we're going to hear about the opportunities that we've seized over the last decade and an outlook into 2030 with Michael Whitehead, head of Agribusiness Insight at ANZ, which recently released their new report, Greener Pastures 2, which looks at the critical pathways to capture global agricultural opportunities. Now, there was a lot to dive into in this report today, so we're splitting the discussion over two episodes, with the first covering the look back on how Australian agriculture exceeded the forecast in terms of investment, production and exports, as well as the lessons for success. Before we get into the episode, a few things to note from commodity markets this week. So the importance of China to the Australian wool industry was dramatically reinforced this week with an announcement by the Chinese government that the hardline approach to COVID-19 would be modified. And this caused mills to quickly increase their orders via exporters to secure supply for an expected ramping up in mill activity. And as a result, we saw the Eastern Market Indicator rally gaining 54 cents over the week. Despite a horribly wet spring, Australia is on track for a record in wheat and canola production, according to the crop report released by ABES this week. The quality of the crop does remain to be seen, but there should be abundant feed wheat amongst the record production. For summer crops, planting is expected to be well above average as well, but down 9% from last season, and that's mainly due to the water logging in New South Wales. That's it from me. I'll hand over to Robert Herman and Michael Whitehead. Thanks, Olivia, and it's fantastic that we can welcome Michael Whitehead back to Commodity Conversations, Michael. It's been a while, but um, welcome. Absolutely. Thanks, Rob. Good to be back. Now, what piqued our interest in getting you back on was that uh, the ANZ have just recently released uh, a really good report, I think, um, called Greener Pastures 2, and that would suggest that there was a Greener Pastures 1, so we'll talk about that. But the the underlying headline for this is uh, the critical pathways to capture global ag opportunities. And just to get you started, Michael, I've it starts off with a very positive um, statement and you say agriculture in Australia is now at its strongest competitive position it's ever been. What a start, Michael. What a way to be, what an industry to be in and what a thing to be talking about. Absolutely, Rob. And and it's obviously a big statement to say that agriculture in Australia is in its strongest globally competitive position. Um, but it is a combination of both what the industry itself here has done uh, over the last decade, particularly, but in the many, many decades leading up to now. And also, uh, also because of the situation globally. Uh, that we find ourselves in. If, if we look at the global one, for example, post drought, we have had a number of very good years. We know that, and particularly around the cropping side of things, the livestock side of things as well, with the current geopolitical instability, whether around Ukraine, whether around some of the events that have been happening in China, uh, that leads to global food insecurity, that leads to countries wanting to increasingly tie up their procurement of larger volumes of food and better quality food as well, and look to a reliable market. 
Um, if we look at what's happened internally, and I'm sure we'll discuss this as well, within Australia, everything that the industry has done, once again, particularly over the last decade, in terms of bringing in more investment into agriculture, in terms of the innovative farmers forging ahead, uh, in terms of, of things like uh, growing exports to, to key markets, in terms of utilizing ag tech, that really has brought the industry up to a position where one can justifiably say uh, that we are more world leading than we have been ever before. In comparing the two reports, Michael, there's a there's a very different tone, really, and and they're only ten years apart. So that would suggest that something fairly significant has happened in the ten years. It, it absolutely has, and and Robert, a number of us in this industry have been around it for a number of years. And let's think back. Let's think back ten years. Let's think back uh, even twenty years or so. The mindset of agriculture back then, back at the start of the two thousand and tens, was quite different. Uh, yes, we knew that we were on the cusp of this growing demand for our exports, particularly from Asian markets. And yes, we had just gone through that two thousand and seven, two thousand eight, two thousand and nine spike in global food prices, uh, brought on by droughts, brought on by American use of. Uh, uh, biofuels as well, but but a lot of uh, wheat, corn, rice, etc., had gone to record prices. But there was still arguably a level of pessimism at the time. So many farmers were thinking, you know, will will the market be there for my produce? Is this what I still want to keep doing? How difficult is this going to be? Mm. And particularly, and this is something we talk about in the report, a big amount of thinking back then is, will the next generation want to come back to farming? The other big thing at the time was that we were starting to see investment come into agriculture, but we were debating if it comes from offshore, are we happy with that? Are we happy with where it's coming from? What will be the future of corporate agriculture? So, so back at that time, yes, uh, things were still going all right, but there was that uncertainty and there was that concern. And that's changed markedly over the decade. Yes, and there were, you're right. And I think the um, the positive nature, which you've looked at where, you know, GVP grew faster than predicted and exports surged, you know, above expectations, they actually changed the landscape pretty quickly. And of course, when that positive just came in, we then saw one of your next insights, which um, you've pointed out here, was that capital requirements eventuated, um, whether that was foreign investment or um, you know, some changes in farm ownership, Michael. I think something's been happening out there. A absolutely. So so just to put some big numbers on it, and they are big numbers, we did a lot of modelling a bit over a decade ago. And what we modelled was two major things. We looked ahead and we said, first of all, here's what the level of exports needed will be, we think, particularly into Asian markets, but globally. This is what this rapidly growing middle class around the world will want in terms of whether it's grain, whether it's dairy, whether it's meat, all these the horticulture things we're exporting. Here's what the requirements will be. Here's what we'll need to produce to provide that. Uh, we've obviously got domestic needs, but we need to provide to those exports. And the capital needs were based on two things how to increase our productivity at the time but also with the ongoing turnover of farms which is always there in terms of buying those farms from people who choose to leave to retire go to something else and we calculated at the time for the 2010s that Australia would need to find 151 billion dollars 
Uh, and we thought that it'd be difficult going. Um, as it turns out, we underestimated. Australia achieved $212 billion worth of investment into agriculture. And that was a major part of why productivity grew, confidence grew and efficiency grew. To go back to your point about where that came from, the point that was probably in the media at the time or discussed the most of the time was foreign investment coming in from whether it was overseas institutional places, pension funds, sovereign funds, uh, family, large family offices as well. And a certain amount absolutely did come in from there. And a certain amount came from Australian corporate investment, whether once again, it was pension funds or other areas. But a really big one, and perhaps still the biggest driver, was the growth and the change in the family farm. And the family farm's gone from being something we worried about a decade ago to people, if you put it bluntly, buying the neighbours, growing in confidence, loving the industry, generations growing on a farm, and continuing to be something that's driving all those parts we talked about. Yes, and that, that's a really good observation, Michael. There's no doubt that that family farm is now, I mean, to call it a family farm is probably almost not quite right. I mean, they are operating like corporate entities. They also have the ability to bring a lot of efficiency. And we, we you noted in one of your other observations or your insights was that the efficiency gains, and I guess they're part of that contribution where you have the uh, the younger generation seeing this opportunity coming back after they've got their uni degrees and whatever and bringing some real skill that's right they're bringing skills and they're bringing ideas and and it's this mix of ideas in a in a two generation farm and once once again there are a range of factors in this. One of the outside ones, and those of us who live in country Australia, um, know the fact that regional areas are changing. And so it can be much more attractive for if your son or daughter's coming back, their partner will want to come back because the, the local town has much more opportunities in terms of jobs, education, health, air transport, everything there. So that's absolutely adding to it, the attractiveness of coming back. But when that next generation comes back and when they want to be part of this really exciting industry, the, the global agri-production industry they're now part of, if they're bringing back their agri-skills, if they're bringing back their financial skills, their scientific skills, their analytical skills, and having new ideas of how to implement those, and that's all working really well. And also when we talk about efficiency gains, we have to talk about the changes in ag tech. It's a broad term, it can cover so many things, but the technology changes over that period have certainly changed the efficiency, whether it's on the tractors and GPS, whether it's on precision spraying, whether it's on livestock management. So that, that decade has seen that, that social change and that family change, but also that technology change combining to bring that better those better efficiency levels. We've also had um, deregulation and restructuring, Michael, and that's contributed also to this innovation space. It absolutely has. And this goes back probably decades even before that. And anybody who's been around agriculture for a while will know these debates very well. Uh, and these debates continue as we've gone from single desk marketing, uh, particularly on the grain side of things, but covering almost every commodity uh, or on things such as the, uh, the wool floor price scheme and other buying schemes as well. And the fact that as they have gone away and as Australian agriculture and Australian farmers have had to stand on their own two feet, unlike most other agricultural countries in the world, uh, the, the need 
to stand on your own two feet here without government support uh, is relatively unique. Australia, New Zealand, and a few other countries means that that innovation has to be found. But the other thing it really means, and this is particularly relevant over the last few years, is that it means Australian farmers have to look long-term knowing that there is likely to be, whether it's a drought, whether it's other weather conditions at some point, plan long-term for their operations, not just how they manage their farms, but how they manage their finances as well, uh, work with other players, uh, whether it's their off-takers, their banks, government as well, but plan long-term and strategically. And Australian Ag has continually got better and better at that. Um, and the lessons learned over the past decade in that will bode very well for the next decade. There's also a challenge in agriculture, Michael, to make sure you're keeping a lid on and a control over your costs. Um, it's one thing to be producing a lot of product, but you have to be doing it in a competitive way with a cost control that allows you to make some money because the market really doesn't care about your costs. The market will pay what the market pays. So we've been able to do that to some degree in your, according to your report. Absolutely, Robin. And interestingly, you could arguably say that at this point, late in 2022, that might almost be the most relevant current point right now. Uh, because in terms of input costs and, and all croppers out there will be well at this, but also anybody who's restocking, anybody who's looking at uh, building their pastures up or, or putting in, uh, let's say, any equipment from dairy processing, wine processing, etc., will know that costs have really come to the fore. Uh, in terms of looking at how you might upgrade, whether next year you'll put in more grain or switch to, to livestock, what your plans will be. E even following the recent rains uh, for a number of people in the cropping industry, whether you were putting fungicides out um, in terms of your costs. Yes, going back over the last decade, Australia really did become better at production costs in terms of uh, benchmarking against global competitors, particularly the Northern Hemisphere ones. Uh, and so the lessons learned in that, once again, uh, things are going to be difficult in at least the coming months and year around fertilizer inputs. Um, but the, the industry's main strategic thinkers, the good farmers, the innovative farmers, and those working with them are now much better placed to make those decisions and make their longer term uh, costing estimates and strategies around them. I'm talking to Michael Whitehead today, and uh, from and we're talking about ANZ's new release, the uh, Greener Pastures 2, which is a 10-year review, I guess, or 10 years after Greener Pastures 1. So what we've covered so far, Michael, are the things that we learned since Greener Pastures 1, I guess, that came out in 2012. But importantly, in the report, you've listed the future or the pathways. And... Um, and I, I must say that it seems like they're, they're more a case of saying, let's keep doing what we're doing, but doing it well. And I'll give you an example. One of your, your, your pathway, number one, is improve the process of capital flows. And that's a very good topic for a bank to raise because uh, it's the sort of things that we expect you to know a lot about. Look, absolutely. And capital flows into agriculture. That was, of course, the main subject covered in Greener Pastures 1, how to get that investment in. And as we saw, that, that investment came. The world's investors discovered agriculture and embraced it. Um, but uh, if anything, that attention by investors from around the world will only get much stronger in the coming decade. Australia continues to be a low political risk 
high quality, relatively consistent uh, producer of agriculture. Nobody can be perfect in any of those, but Australia continues to stand out. Um, and as on the other side of the ledger with that demand there and with those commodity prices, which may go up and down, but are likely to stay much higher than they were before, uh, continues to be a great investment. At the same time, the investors themselves all around the world have learned a lot over the past decade. And so more and more of them have a willingness to get involved into the industry. So why did we say that it was so important to uh, enhance the process of capital flows? For a number of reasons. Uh, we're not competing on our own out there in the world for the dollar. And that's not just uh, Australia competing for global investment. That's Australia competing for Australian investment as well. Australian investors need to look globally for where they'll get returns. So the industry needs to continue to get better at marketing uh, why it's an attractive investment, uh, what the structures for investment may be, whether it's your agri-production operation, your processing operation, whichever part of the supply chain. We also made a point in here that so much of the investment may come from offshore into capital cities and then look to farming areas as well. And some of the businesses that may miss out there are the regionally based ones, whether it is regional real estate, regional accounting, regional legal firms, and those other ones which benefit regional areas. So if there's a, a lesson that can be taken from that, so many regional businesses are terrific ones, but how can they increasingly get the skills, the profile, the, the contacts uh, domestically and globally as well to, to play an even greater role in that, which will benefit them, which will benefit the investor because the, the regional one has that local knowledge Knowledge and will benefit uh, whoever the, the, the seller um, or the buyer may be there out there on the farm itself. 